Hey guys, this is AC, and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Welcome everybody to the Brown Men Won't Jump podcast. The 2020-2021 season is well underway, and to kick it off, we want to talk about some of our NBA superlatives. Today I'm joined by our panel of AC. What's up guys? Us we. Howdy how. And Anushan. Yo, what's good, guys? And I don't think I introduced myself. This is Nassau. So we're going to start talking about some of our favorite awards, and let's hand them out to some people. So to do that, I'm going to pass the baton over to AC. So you guys remember when you were back in high school and you do this like yearbook thing, right, where they would predict all kinds of stuff, like most likely to become a rock star, or most likely to become famous, etc. So we thought we'd do the same thing with the NBA season. So not just like your normal awards, like your MVP stuff. We'll cover that too, but also some fun stuff. So let's just start out with an ode to the New York Knicks of the 90s. The most likely player in the NBA this season to start a brawl. Ooh. What do you got, guys? Yeah, well, uh, for me, I've got to say it's one of the guys I really dislike in the NBA. And that's Grayson Allen on the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, for me, he's always been this like fake tough guy in the league, right? First of all, he's not even like one of those enforcer type players in the NBA. He's just some like he's a scrawny like uh well he's not, not short. He's six foot like three, six foot four, but he's a scrawny white dude, and like he always has this persona of like being super aggressive, super tough. And I'm I'm sure you guys have seen this a lot. This dates back from his days at Duke, but he has this really weird fascination of tripping people whenever he gets the chance. And we've already seen it this season where he's tripped Trey Young. And they've had this whole dispute about it over Twitter and, and whatnot. He also has a really, really bad temper. And on numerous occasions, he's need to be calmed by his coaching staff and his fellow teammates. And I mean, again, like I said before, I just really dislike this guy. So I could definitely see just one day someone just having enough of his shit and a brawl would just ensue from that. Anu, do you feel like Trey Young and him are going to have a fight next time they see each other? Because the um, stuff on Twitter seems pretty. The stuff on Twitter seems pretty. Uh, um. Well, again, I don't think Trey Young's the type of person to really go out of his way to do anything like that. But Grayson Allen is definitely like an antagonizer, so I could definitely see him wanting to take an assignment of guarding Trey Young, and then they'll like get into it. Maybe again, it's like fake tough guy shit, right? Like I just feel like he'll like try hold to get in his face. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a classic hold me back NBA type of guy. Yeah, 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 for real. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just think that Grayson Allen is going to definitely antagonize him. But other than that, it probably won't lead to too much. Unless Trey Young just gets super mad and like clocks him. Well, you're talking about a hold me back guy. How about a guy who honestly is probably the toughest guy in the NBA in James Johnson? He's an actual tough guy. Yeah, My dude yeah. comes from a family of karate black belts who have multiple world and national championships from his parents to his siblings. He has a 24-0 kickboxing record, a 7-0 MMA record. In fact, in his MMA career, he's known as Little Ali because he has such great footwork. And in his first match at age 18, he won the match in 97 seconds. Damn. In Jesus 97 Christ. seconds. So when you think about it, He's on a team with Luca, who is kind of like the darling of the NBA right now. And there are a lot of guys like Marcus Morris who try to be a little too physical with him. So given that now he's on the Mavericks, I could definitely see him being an enforcer trying to protect his guys. We've already seen him fight Torian Prince, Serge Ibaka, Andre Jarman. You name it, he's had scuffles with all of them. 
You know, it's funny because I, I love James Johnson, too. He's definitely, when it's the time with the Raptors, I loved him there. But I just feel like James Johnson's not the type of guy to really, like, start shit. He's the type of guy to end shit. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I don't think he'd, yeah. like, really start a brawl. But, yo, I would not want to get into, like, any range of this guy's, like, swinging his hands to anyone. He's deadly. I think in some ways he reminds me of this generation's Oakley in that, you know, and I don't say that lightly because, you know, I love me some Charles Oakley. He's just that guy that nobody wanted to mess with around the NBA. And basically, if he was trying to get in a fight with you, people would kind of just avoid him altogether. So that reminds me of my guy who also has a similar reputation, and that's PJ Tucker. You know, he's really well respected in the league. People definitely don't mess with him. I think he's going to start a brawl this season, guys, but not with an opponent. I think he's going to get into a fight with James Harden and Tillman Fertitta, guys. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, for the last several years, P.J. Tucker has done all the thankless work for the Rockets. He takes the toughest assignment every single night on defense, whoever their best perimeter player is. He's asked to box out against centers five to six inches taller than him, and mostly because Harden wanted Westbrook on his team and... The only way to make that work was to get rid of all their centers. So P.J. Tucker was given that assignment. And on offense, man, this guy barely touches the ball except to, you know, to shoot because Harden monopolizes the ball. And he doesn't complain. But now, of course, Harden's demanding to be traded. And the Rockets don't even want to give this guy an extension. So if I'm Tillman or Harden, I'm watching my back. No, totally. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so for me, I think... More than identifying a player, I'm first going to guess that uh, I think the Los Angeles Clippers will be the first team involved in a brawl in that sort of way. Um, so I, I think the, the the Clippers, right? There's been so much trashing of them this offseason, deservedly so, after their uh, postseason failures, right? So now they're entering the season, the underdogs. They're back rightfully second in the totem pole in Los Angeles. They're going to have They're going to have a little, you know, Dirt to grind, whatever it is. Um, so I think the, your leading contender on the Clippers would be Marcus Morris. You know, obviously, you know, uh, someone who's had that aggressive history. You know, tied for leading the league in Texas last season. Um, so I, I think he's a heavy favorite. Um, and I think there's Patrick Beverly as well. So I, I, I'm sort of uh, hedging my bets, but I'm going to say between Marcus Morris and Patrick Beverly, the the Clippers are the team you're going to see uh, with that headline this season. Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're talking about any player like this on a brawl, you can't go wrong with betting on a Morai. Those guys are always in the mix. So let's go to another category, guys. Now, the NBA instituted a very long and complex COVID procedure, mostly for the safety of the players and and for you know the sake of the league. So we don't we hope this doesn't happen, but you know there's human nature, and these are a bunch of guys going about their daily lives. They're not in a bubble anymore. Who is your most likely player to break COVID protocol? Yeah, so for me, I've got to say it's James Harden. Um, so I feel like James has this like he has this idea that there's some type of invincibility to him. He's just like so non-caring about his future as a rocket that, and he I also believe that his he thinks his talent is enough that he can find himself in a position where he can succeed like no matter what, even though he has no playoff credentials, but. He still has this like aura to him where he's like he feels like he's just dominating the best player in the NBA type of feel, right? So to me, this also translates to him just not caring about what happens to him regarding COVID, and like this mentality leads him to do whatever the hell he really wants to. Um, 
He also has like a lot of celebrity friends. These being uh, rappers like Young Thug, Meek Mill, Lil Baby, Travis Scott, all guys that some some guys listen to. I love Travis Scott myself. But um, yeah, but he's been seen partying a lot with these guys in the past. So in some ways, they act as like an influences current behavior. Um, I'm pretty sure if you guys have seen that video now of him at the strip club, he was given a Dior luggage bag as an Xmas gift. So I also should clarify as well. Like, I'm not saying that him indulging in the finer things in life is like a wrong thing to do, nor is the company that he hangs around with. Like he's free to do whatever he wants. But again, we have to consider the current social climate and this idea of him just going out and being enabled to go and do these things. It's not really good and responsible given his position, right? So I feel like James, again, he doesn't really care that much about what the NBA has to say about him. So he's just going to go ahead and do whatever the hell he wants. Well, a couple of points to add on to that. I mean, first and foremost, the reason he can get away with that is that you saw already in his in his debut this season just how dominant this guy is, right? Like he, it's almost like he's worth whatever problems come with him. And, and he knows that. And the other thing is James Harden is a guy who's actually, it's been, uh, revealed recently that he actually had COVID. So maybe because he's had it, he has a little bit less of a a fear of going out and things like that. But the NBA has been very clear about this. That, you know, they don't know enough about the consequences uh, of people who have had COVID before and how that interacts and can there be people who carry the disease. So the restrictions should still apply. And unfortunately, in my opinion, uh, Adam Silver was really soft on, on James. He just gave him a minor fine and no suspension at all, which frankly is a bit unfair given how uh, they handle some of the other situations that occurred in the bubble. So, um, you know, he was he was let off really gently. So I don't know if it's going to do anything to discourage future behavior. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And again, I, I believe that Adam Silver said, like, he let him get away with it because it was Christmas or something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. Very, like, <laughs> lax, lax excuse. And I don't know, like, Adam always does, like, these crazy things. And to me, it's just ridiculous. I mean, that's player friendly to the next level. Also, who you got? For me, it's pretty clear. I, I understand the whole bit about James Harden, but I think it's clear it's Michael Porter Jr. I mean, this is a guy who's multiple times said that COVID is a hoax. He said that, quote, <laughs> oh boy. there's definitely an agenda behind coronavirus. Like, what the hell does that even mean? He said that COVID is overblown to scare people into being controlled and that it would be crazy if vaccinations are required to travel. I mean, this is like a crazy anti-vaxxer. That, to me, is very scary. Now, he recently claimed that he's never been vaccinated in his life. He said, quote, I've never been vaccinated in my life. I've never had any shots or anything like that. Now, this shows me that either he's a liar or he's just ignorant because his college, Missouri, requires that in order to register, you must have had your basic two-step vaccinations done. So either he's painfully ignorant or he's just a liar. And I mean, this is a guy who's so careless that he once accidentally posted Adam Silver's cell number on Snapchat. And <laughs> Adam Silver Sorry. got bombarded with calls and texts and had to change his cell number because of this guy's carelessness. That's so, so tell me if you feel like this guy is not a clear danger to his teammates. <laughs> that's a good point well that brings me to my guy who now is on Oswe 76ers and that is Dwight Howard now Dwight Howard has long had a bit of a reputation around the league for being a bit of an oddball uh, to put it lightly and 
he's said flat out that he doesn't believe in wearing a mask. He also actually doesn't believe that viruses are transmitted through the air and said, quote, I didn't know that the coronavirus be flying through the air looking for people. I mean, I, I guess, you know, uh, believing that an airborne virus is, you know, born by the air is too much to ask. So, um, but then again, I mean, should we really be surprised, guys? This is Dwight Howard we're talking about, who is at least five kids with five different women. So it's not exactly like he's the biggest believer in protection. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> And, you know, Dwight got fined for not wearing a mask in the bubble. And in the bubble, for those who don't know, they actually monitored, like, how often you're wearing a mask and, and they would, you know, put pressure on you to wear a mask. It's hard to believe that if he couldn't wear his mask in the bubble when he was being monitored constantly, that he's actually going to wear one when he goes about his daily life. So, also, yeah, I feel a little bit scared for your 76ers. Yeah, I mean, the problem with the 76ers is that the team is always injured or sick or whatever. Now we have a guy who doesn't believe in masks or anything like that on our team. Yeah, I'm definitely concerned there. Yeah, so it's funny because I think James Harden would have been my pick like Anushan. And honestly, he probably still is. But I guess the case against James Harden is he's gotten so much shit over the last like week or two over his partying that I actually feel like he's actually going to be a little bit, you know, more on, on track with how we should be, but who, who really knows it's James, right? Um, that being said, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to do my classic thing of not really addressing the question, but give it proposing uh, a sort of alternative of, well, I, I kind of feel like the, the, the incoming rookie class, if I took them collectively might be a strong contender to break COVID protocol, right? They're, they're coming straight out of college. Um, it's, it's been, it's been a weird year. Um, so I just feel, I, I feel like it, it's going to be more like young person doing X that they shouldn't be doing. I, I think that's the the route I'm going to take. So I'm not going to name any specific rookie. I'll, I'll, if I had to, maybe I'll just name the ball. Um, but, uh, uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll just, put my ball. the ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The singular ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but, uh, if I had to, I'd pick him, but, uh, otherwise I'm just going to say the incoming rookie class. And in general, I think the young in NBA players. Guys, what's our your most likely NBA coach to be fired? It's, it's kind of an annual tradition that some NBA coach is going to be fired midseason. It's kind of an occupational hazard for them. So who you guys got? Yeah, so for me, it's a guy I actually know pretty well, and that's Dwayne Casey. Um, for me, I, I've had a real love-hate relationship with him. So again, he took my Raptors from a team out of playoff contention to a team with consistent playoff bouts, but we would regularly get bounced by LeBron, or as Oswe painfully loves to remind me, LeBronto. So, during uh, <laughs> his stint, um, our team actually did so well, and he got a ton of recognition as being one of the best coaches in the NBA, and he won the NBA Coach of the Year Award in 2018, and was also the All-Star Game Eastern Conference head coach in 2018 when they had the old format as well. So seeing him now with the Detroit Pistons, it's pretty disappointing that they've been a pretty consistently bad team. So they have a, he has a collective record right now of 61 and 89. And again, like there's a multitude of reasons for this. Like Detroit Pistons are not some world-class organization, especially now. And their current roster is not really constructed that well, given that Blake is coming from multitude of injuries, not playing at all throughout the regular season. 
outside of Dwayne Casey not being that great in his regular season for the Detroit Pistons, he's also never been a great playoff coach, right? He lacks a lot of creativity in his sets, and he lacks a lot of creativity in his lineups as well. He's extremely static in his coaching, and he's the type of uh, coach that like kind of bangs his head against the wall, like trying to do what he thinks is the correct thing instead of being more fluid and being more dynamic in like changing the way his offense is run or his defensive sets are run. So for those reasons, I think that if this season he doesn't find a way to turn it around with the Detroit Pistons, I think that it's going to tarnish not only his like legacy, but he might actually just lose his job given the stature that he had once before. Well, we're talking about a guy who got fired the same summer he won a Coach of the Year award. So that's right, not yeah. for him. I <laughs> yeah, mean, yeah. I do think a little bit of the Dwayne Casey criticism might just be that he was facing the best player of, you know, probably the generation. So, um, you know, maybe he just looks makes a lot of coaches look bad. I mean, he's made a career out of doing that. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit higher on Dwayne Casey, but I do think he has a bad roster. Another problem that he has is that his... The ownership seems to expect them to be a playoff team, and that's why they paid all this money to get Jeremy Grant. And I don't, I'm not sure they're gonna be. Yeah, no, I definitely have to agree with you there. I think that again, also losing Christian Wood and not trying to retain him was like something that was really out of the way for the Pistons. Like, and wait, I, so you're saying you didn't like the uh, the the Plumley <laughs> replacement? Oh, yeah, like Plumley is on the same level as Christian Wood. Like, look, come on, like. Let's be realistic. Like, the Pistons have, like, no real shot at making the playoffs. Like, at most, the best they can do is look for, like, some good development with their rookie, Killian Hayes. But other than that, like, I just don't think that... Like, like you said, like, the expectations are really high for Dwayne Casey, and he doesn't have the pieces to really work with that to make a playoff run, especially given how strong the Eastern Conference is this year. Let me piggyback off you. Uh, speaking about a good coach on a pretty bad team, I think for me, it has to be my guy, Lloyd Pierce, former assistant coach of the Sixers and current head coach with the Hawks. Oftentimes, you see that whenever there's a team that underachieves for a number of years in a row, their head coach is the first person to go. You can argue that's unfair, but that's the business. Now, the problem with the Hawks is that this past offseason, they got a lot of talent because it's clear that they want to make it to the playoffs. They'll probably make it into the playoff play-in games. But I just don't see with with teams like Charlotte and Washington, who will be legitimate contenders in the East. I just don't see the Hawks making the playoffs this year. And even if they do, they're not going to get out of the first round. So it's almost inevitable that Lloyd Pierce would be getting fired this year. So I actually have a bit of like an opposite take to what you just said, Oswee. Um, in a way, like I actually think that the Hawks have a better chance at making the last spot in for the East than the Washington Wizards and especially the Charlotte Hornets. I don't think the Hornets have a good shot at making the playoffs this year, in my opinion. But I feel like with Lloyd Pierce, I agree in the, the sense that he's going to be under a lot of a, a lot of pressure this year, especially. But I think that's because there's pressure on him to make the playoffs. So if they don't make the playoffs and they don't exceed those expectations that are set on him right now, especially given how many moves they made for their current roster, I think that... Lloyd Pierce could definitely see himself getting fired. Yeah, so Lloyd Pierce was is my pick for the coach I think is going to wind up getting fired this season. And it might seem a bit of an odd pick because by all accounts, he's beloved in Atlanta, right? This is a guy who played a huge role in combating systematic voter suppression in Georgia and especially in Atlanta. So he's beloved amongst the people in that city. 
But just the reality is he just hasn't won that much in the NBA despite now being his third season and, and him having talented players like Trey Young and John Collins. And let's be real, the Hawks went out there and acquired a lot of talent. Guys like Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Rondo, Chris Dunn, because they want and expect to win. That's the management's prerogative for them to win, right? But I don't think they're actually good enough to really win because Trey Young is just that bad at defense. And aside from Chris Dunn, who is an absolute defensive beast, they don't really have any plus defenders on that team. And it's kind of hard to make the playoffs when you're so bad at one end of the floor. And the other thing is the Hawks quietly added Nate McMillan, who has 16 years of head coaching experience as an assistant. So I, I could totally see where if, if the Hawks are struggling to stay in the playoff hunt, the management decides to make a change and McMillan replaces uh, Lloyd Pierce. I'm going to go in a different direction with this. I think all of the coaches we've said so far have some amount of chance of getting fired, right? We can see how all these situations can go wrong, right? Um, I, But I would say in my estimation, I don't really think there's any coach that has even a 50% chance of getting fired this season. I think, you know, whoever does, you know, it's too early to call, right? So I actually uh, am going to say that I think the coach most likely to be fired is actually going to be Steve Nash. Uh, and I like Steve Ooh, Nash. That's a, that's a bold, that's a, can we, can we get a wow. hot take alert? Yeah, that, that deserves a hot oh, take alert. That's a hot take alert right there. Hot take alert. That was an unexpected hot take alert. I was like, kind of shook out of my seat. <laughs> I, I don't want to be uh, too dramatic, ladies and gentlemen. Like, I still think that the uh, I still think that the whole Nets experiment is going to work out. You have KD, you have Kyrie, you have Steve. You know, it, it is what it is, right? That being said, we have a coach that's already been questioned before he started doing anything day one, right? <laughs> that's true. That is true. Um, this this friend this that ownership group has so much invested in KD and Kyrie. If Kyrie doesn't like Steve Nash, the solution isn't going to be to get to get rid of Kyrie, probably. So Steve Nash probably has a high amount of upside, right? He's in almost like a Steve Kerr like situation where he can get he could ride on the coattails uh, of really talented players the way Spolstra, Ty Lue, Steve Kerr did. But he also has a really short leash because if he gets on Kyrie's bad side, there, there's, there, there, I, don't, I don't think there's any, like, I don't think they're going to hold on firing Steve Nash just because uh, he's the player that we all used to love, you know? I think if Kyrie is like, I want Steve out, that's what's going to happen. So I think he's, he's under a hot seat that he re- probably really shouldn't be going into his first coaching season. Yeah, but Nissel, do you really think that they would move on from Steve Nash after one year? If you think about it, even the Cavs didn't move on from Blatt until at least one year. Probably halfway through the second season is when they got rid of him. Yeah, so I, I think the whole th- I think the whole thing with that is not that I think Steve Nash will be fired or that he deserves to be right, but if there's a huge amount of failure, um, you have the, the second best player on the team saying that there is no true head coach, uh, and th- if this team comes short in any real meaningful way, it's going to be really easy for them to just pass the the blame onto Steve Nash, um, and it's going to be easy for Kyrie to do so, right? And they need to keep Kyrie happy for this to work because we all know how this era works. Kyrie could just demand a trade next season. Um, so th- th- I don't think they're going to hesitate. So that brings us perfectly to our next topic, which is who is the most likely player in this 
era of player empowerment to demand to be traded from their team. It seems like it's it's now become its own annual tradition that someone's going to demand this. Who's it going to be this year? But we're not going to count, by the way, James Harden, which is an easy answer because he's already demanded to be traded. But aside from James Harden, who's the next guy most likely to, to demand to be traded? Uh, honestly, I, I I didn't really think too much about who would want to be traded because when I when I thought about it, like there's a lot there's a lot of players in the NBA, like you said, that now especially more so than ever are coming out with saying that they don't like the current situations on their teams. If I would have to say one particular player, maybe it would be Bradley Beal, given the situation on the Wizards. But other than that, I can't really think of too many other players where just off the top of my head, at least, that have like a significant want or need to just get out of the current situation that they're in on their respective teams. I was thinking, uh, based on what you said about P.J. Tucker, I would be surprised if he didn't want to be traded. Because think about it. They're already cleaning up shop in Houston as is. And it's clear that the role he's been given in Houston has been something that, in my opinion, is below him and his talents. And I could see him being a good piece on a legitimate contender. So if I'm P.J. Tucker, I would want out. I I agree with Anushan on Bradley Beal. Now, Bradley Beal last year quietly put up 30 points per game along with four rebounds and six assists last season. But he didn't even make an all-NBA team. And why is that? It's not because of him. It's because the other Wizards just weren't good enough and John Wall was hurt last year. Now, this year's roster makes a lot more sense on paper to me because it is shooting everywhere. Guys like... Bertans, Thomas Bryan, and Mo Wagner. Plus, they also have Westbrook, who you know showed last season that if you get space around him um, and, and give him clear lanes, which Wizards will be able to do, he can actually be pretty dominant uh, until he got hurt last year. So they have the potential to be an elite NBA offense. On the other hand, though, there's a really good chance that their defense just won't be good enough for them to win much or, or be more than a bottom-tier playoff team or maybe even a play-in team. And at some point, Bradley Beal can you know, only take so much losing, given how well he's playing individually. Unlike other players, his individual greatness is not being re- rewarded in the, in the form of NBA awards or recognition. And he only has one more season after this one before he can opt out and become an unrestricted free agent. And we've seen players in this exact situation demand to be traded, You know, most recently Anthony Davis. Um, the other thing is Bradley Beal is going to be in high demand because he can play both on and off the ball and fit into basically any kind of offense. So you're talking about the rare kind of player that can turn solid players into contenders and make contenders into title favorites. So I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of other players around the league are whispering in his ear and telling him to ask to be traded. Yeah. So I I think that's a, that's a good one. That makes a ton of sense. Um, I am going to go with um, Paul George actually. Um, And that would be crazy if I'll, I'll just be clear. If Paul George demands a trade, that would be ridiculous. But um, we're we're talking about how this Clippers team isn't quite as incredible as we once thought, right? We're we're saying that there's a, a potential room for you know error, you know potential room for disappointment. It would be crazy. I don't really know where he would go, but it's it's not something impossible. Uh, I would say based off of how they really ended last season. Well, it's also not impossible based on his own track record, right? I mean, he signs an extension in Oklahoma City, has his big outdoor party with Westbrook and, you know, celebrating it. And then really one year later, he asks out. So, you know, he just signed an extension with the Clippers. It's not unprecedented that he would ask for to, to, to be out of there. True. So 
another thing that we should look into, guys, is who's most likely to win MVP this season. Oh, an actual NBA award. Fine, fine. We can do some of those too. Fine to that, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to go with the conventional pick this year, which is Luka. Now, Joel Embiid is my dark horse candidate, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. But I I have to think that Luka is the favorite this year. Already we've seen so far this season, through three games, he's averaging over 27 points per game, six assists per game, and seven rebounds per game. You know, he's a young player who's motivated to prove himself in a year when a lot of older players are either coming off injury, like Kyrie or KD or Steph, or are trying to preserve themselves for the postseason due to the shorter offseason and regular season, like the ADs, the LeBrons, the Kawhis. When you watch him play, he plays the game with such ease. He looks like he's having so much fun out there. And now he has great support around him with guys like Josh Richardson, who will help bring defensive help in the backcourt. He'll be the best player on a very competitive team. Now, as we've seen in the playoffs, he is a high cojones factor player. So if you put all of that together, it's pretty clear that this is a guy who will be gunning for MVP this season. Now, I mentioned that my dark horse candidate is Joel Embiid. And the reason I say that is because watching him in the first two games of the season, not only has he put up good numbers, but I'm seeing an energy that he's playing with that I really haven't seen much in his career. How he's going for second chance and garbage buckets. You know, that's something I've never seen him do before. It almost seems as if the rumors about him taking his conditioning seriously are actually true. So while Luka is my favorite for MVP, I just want to put a warning to everyone out there. Joel Embiid might actually be our Dark Horse MVP candidate. You know, Joel Embiid is like the uh, that girl from Peanuts and Oswee is the poor Sixers fan. He's coming once again to kick that football and it's going to get pulled away from him. <laughs> it's not just me. It's literally all of Philadelphia. We are all Charlie Brown there. (laughs) They share the sentiment. (laughs) Uh, So I actually agree with Asfi on one of his accounts, and that is going to be on Luka. Uh, So for me, right, when I look at Luka, I feel like if he can lead and will his team to a top four seed and what is an extremely competitive Western Conference, it's going to look fantastic for him. And also, we had to remember, right? Like, he's going to be playing without having their second best player, Christoph Przingis, who is injured for the first month of the season. And let's be real, guys. He's probably going to be in and out of the lineups considering how his health history shows, right? So if he's able to will his team to that fourth seed at least, or, you know, anything uh, around there, I really do think that he has the ability to win the MVP considering how much of a load that he has to carry. Um, more than that, right? Like he's also a natural born leader. There's glowing reviews from his teammates and coaches. I know that Kristaps has spoken really highly and he has a really good relationship with Boban, but you know, Boban has a good relationship with everyone. So I don't really know if that's like some major key thing to, to say, but, but yeah, he has good rapport with his teammates. Um, and again, like, one thing we also have to note is players who have like face of the league potential. And I really do believe that Luka Doncic has all those things to make him an, an intangible superstar for in this league for many years to come. And from a business standpoint, if for the NBA, like this guy has all the marketability in the world, right? So, you know, just for those reasons, I think that Luka might just take his MVP in year three. 
So I totally get where you guys are coming from with Luca. I mean, he is the betting favorite for a reason. But my problem with, with Luca is not him, but it's his team. I just don't think they're going to win enough to be for him to be a legitimate MVP contender. Now, listen, once in a blue moon, they give it to the Westbrook kind of guys who don't win that much. But most of the time, it's given to someone who's on one of the best teams in the NBA. And I just don't think that the Mavericks are that likely to get there. They could if everything breaks right. And if they do, he will win the MVP. In fact, when I look around at all the various candidates, I just think that a lot of them are in this situation where either their team's not going to win that much for them to win, no matter how good they play. So talking about guys like Chris Paul or James Harden or Luka, um, or they're going to miss too many games for load management or playing half-ass in, in, a, in a truncated season following a truncated offseason. Guys like Kawhi or LeBron or even AD for that matter. Or the media just gotten too tired of their of their playoff struggles to to award it to them, and that's you know guys like Giannis or you know you can name Harden here again. So to me, the guy that's obvious, the only one left who's an MVP candidate is Kevin Durant. For first of all, like he has the skill and the talent to do that, right? I mean, he is going to put up MVP numbers if he's healthy, and he looks healthy, admittedly in a very small sample size, but he looks like he's back to the pre-injury Kevin Durant. And I'm not just saying that he's making jump shots, because if, if that's all it was, then, you know, it'd be like, all right, you know, we know he can do that. But he's actually attacking closeouts, finishing with dunks. He's blowing by people. He guarded Jason Tatum effectively one-on-one on Christmas Day, right? Like, that's about as hard of a matchup you're going to get as in, as, from a one-on-one perspective. Um, the other thing is, I think he has the narrative, right? Like, he's coming back from a torn Achilles after a year away, having something to prove, you know, showing that he can be the best player on a team that isn't so stacked. So I think that narrative goes in his favor as well. And the biggest thing is, like, he's just going to put up these counting stats that you need to win MVP, right? Like, on, on a team that's going to win a ton. And I think they have a real shot of becoming one of the top two seeds in the NBA. And, that, you know, this is a guy who's won an MVP before, so we know he can put up those numbers. He's the best scorer since Jordan. He's a true unicorn. He can, you know, he stands seven feet tall, but he can pull up from 30. You know, you make a compelling case for Kevin Durant there. You know, just seeing him play in the preseason and so far in the regular season, it definitely seems like he could be the MVP this season. And as you all know, I'm not a big Kevin Durant fan. But I do think that him winning the MVP would be really good for the league because it means Kevin Durant is back. And if Kevin Durant is back, that means the overall level of play in the league will be that much better. So... Hey, if, if this is an MVP season for him, I'm all for it. I would have to agree with us. we there, yep. I'll go in a different direction again, and I know he's been said um, casually, but I think the the favorite should really be Giannis. I'll be honest, guys, three-peated up. Um, and I know the, the biggest argument against Giannis, right, is just that the media is fatigued with him. But imagine a player, right, in a, in a, in a league where everyone is leaving left and right to go to the next super team. Uh, and then one guy amongst them all decides to re-up with, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, I think that player would be kind of a media darling. So I actually think that Giannis has a, a realistic chance for someone who has won the MVP now twice in a row to really uh, get that third MVP. Um, so he, I, I think he, he's the best out of all the players we've talked about. I think he's the best player in that discussion. So I'm going to just uh, bet on the talent this time around and say Giannis. I'm sorry, Nissal, but I strongly disagree with that. 
You talk about media fatigue. That happens when guys win MVP, but also have some level of playoff success. Now imagine the kind of fatigue that'll come with a guy who, sure, he got back-to-back MVPs, but he also had back-to-back complete playoff collapses. So I feel like the fact that he has failed so many times in the postseason, that is really a black mark on his MVP case because if he truly is that valuable, he'd be doing a little bit more. And I just feel like the media darling that you say that Giannis is, that title now goes to Luka. Whether or not that's correct is its own debate, but I just feel like the playoff failures have removed Giannis from that media darling spot. Though I do commend him for re-signing with the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it, but at the at, at a certain point, right? You know, Giannis is playing next to Chris Middleton. I think then the media will have uh, a little sympathy for that. You know, any anyone can win a title next to Paul George, AD, Kyrie, whoever, right? Um, but Giannis decided to stay in Milwaukee, so I think that's ultimately going to be recognized by the media. So, you know, you guys mentioned Giannis. He also won the Defensive Player of the Year last year. And if we're talking about real awards and who's going to win them, who do you guys think is the most likely player to win the Defensive Player of the Year this this upcoming season? Gun to my head, I would say Anthony Davis, just because I think he deserved it last year and he was robbed of it last year. So I, I think that if I had to pick anyone for sure, I would say Anthony Davis. Given that he played all the way into the finals, and had a shortened offseason, and this regular season, he's probably going to rest a lot. I'm actually going to pick Ben Simmons as my Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Now, let's talk about Ben. As we've mentioned before, you know he can guard one through five. He's quick and long enough to bother smaller guards, but he's also tall and strong enough to bother bigs. Nobody has guarded tougher opposition last season than Ben. According to B-Ball Index, 98th percentile in his ability to pickpocket opponents, 99th percentile in steals per 75 possessions, 98th percentile in deflections per 75. He's second only to our Danny Green in most blocks per game average for a guard in the league. When guarded by Ben, I want you guys to hear this. Trey Young, 18% field goal percentage. LeBron, 22. Siakam, 26. Tatum, 27. Westbrook, 30. Harden, 33. This guy can defend better than most people in the league. I feel like it's a real shame that he only received one first place vote for Defensive Player of the Year. I don't think that it was some kind of conspiracy that Anthony Davis did not win last year. I think the nature of the Lakers scheme made it difficult for him to like have those counting stats like blocks per game and things like that that you need to win this award. Like last year, Dwight and JaVale were dropping back in the paint more while Davis was chasing around. Uh, perimeter power forwards and wings so he didn't get as many blocks he also didn't play that many minutes in center last year that's partly his own choice of course and and he was often also paired with R- rondo who is a atrocious defender didn't even try i mean he, he can play defense he just didn't try at all in the regular season so he didn't his so anthony davis's defensive plus minus numbers suffered so he didn't win whatever but last year we know in the playoffs he showed that he is the best defender in the world because a guy like Ben Simmons can switch on everybody, but he can't provide the elite rim protection that uh, someone like you know Anthony Davis can. And then guys like Gobert, they can do the rim protection, but they can't switch out onto people. He can do everything. And you know, you saw in the finals, he switched on to Jimmy Butler and took him on and really basically shut him down. 
So he has this versatility that allows the Lakers to run on any kind of scheme they want. They can switch. They can hard hedge. They can show and recover. They can drop in the paint. They can trap. And he has the speed and the length to make any of those schemes work. On this year's team, I feel like he's the only guy who's really a true uh, rim protector. They have Gasol, who's not really like a true traditional three-plus blocks per game kind of guy. And so he's going to have to play more on the back line just schematically to provide the rim protection that guys like Harrell just don't. And I think the Lakers will still project to be a pretty good defensive team with a combination of Vogel's coaching, who I think Frank Vogel's a defensive genius. And also they have still pretty good defensive personnel. So they're going to be a top flight defensive team and he is going to rightfully get the credit this year. And I think he's going to win. Yeah. um, Just to piggyback a bit off of what AC said, like, AD is also going to be my pick for Defensive Player of the Year. Um, and again, like, to be honest, it's probably about high time that AD does win a Defensive Player of the Year. Like, I feel like for years, he's always been heralded as, like, this really, like, kind of like an anomaly of a defender in some ways, like, similar to Ben Simmons. Like, there's these guys who can guard multiple positions and not just, like, guard them, like, well, but, like, completely shut down the opposition at any position or any place where they're guarding their opponents. Um, again, like AC already kind of alluded to, um, AD is one of the only players in the league that you can effectively run every single defensive scheme imaginable for. And we've seen it with the way the Lakers play, right? They they run a multitude of different defensive coverages when it comes to, especially their pick and roll coverages, right? So I feel like AD is one of those like really generational type players that remind me a lot of like a Bill Russell in, in type of way that, like that's the type of defensive impact that he has on the game of basketball. I'm fully on board with AD as well, to be honest. Uh, we're not, we don't have a huge amount of uh, arguments. That being said, I think after AD, again, I, I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm beating a dead horse here. Um, but if I, if I had to say after AD, my pick would actually be Giannis again. Uh, for, for all the reasons that he won last year, for all the reasons for why I feel like he's still – um, a favorite to be MVP. Um, I just think he's the whole package. Um, and I'll be honest, I, I do think if he were to win MVP, he I do think he would be less likely to um, also win defensive player of the year. I think that would be insane and ridiculous. Um, but I, I do think that there's a, a strong chance that he wins one of those two awards this season. My, my reason for not picking Giannis is not just because of the voter fatigue thing, which I don't think happens as much with defensive player of the year, by the way, because guys can win it multiple times in a way that you don't see as much with MVP. But I, I actually think that they're going to take a step back defensively this season. They added Drew Holiday, who is an all-world defender, a generationally great defender. But I mean, he's replacing Eric Bledsoe, who was already a pretty good defender at that position. But they also lost a lot of other solid defenders and they replaced them with plenty of offense-only guys, like guys like DJ Augustine, guys like Bryn Forbes, who I think are going to get picked on. And I think their team metrics won't let them be historically as great as they were last season defensively. So I, I think the case for Giannis will be weaker for that reason. I can't really argue that. That makes sense. We talked before about coaches that are most likely to be fired this season. Who's most likely to actually win coach of the year this season? So for me... It's probably going to sound pretty biased, but I I just got to go with my guy, Nick Nurse. Um, And again, I believed and still for the most part, I still do believe that he's the best coach in the NBA. Um, He has the highest winning percentage amongst all coaches currently in the NBA. But I mean, in actuality, get this. He has the highest winning percentage of all time 
He's currently at 71.2% as of the day that we're recording this podcast. That's incredible, but it's definitely a small sample size. Small sample size for sure, right? He's only, this is his third season as, as a head coach. But, you know, if he continues to go at a pace like that, like, you never know, right? Like, that that's incredible. Um, again, he's one of the most dynamic coaches in the NBA. He's extremely creative in the way he runs his defensive schemes because he's one of the very few coaches that incorporates tons of variants of like different lineups and he does a lot of different zone lineups as well uh he does a lot of box and one coverages and he does like really annoying things that you'd see in like college basketball like uh, half court traps and full court presses and it's just like things that throw a lot of nba teams off guard because they're just not prepared to deal with that kind of swarming defense because again like conventionally that kind of stuff doesn't work but because of the way that nick nurse incorporates it it throws teams off and like it leads to like really easily easily swayed runs he's also great at um developing young players so we've seen the rise of siakam granted siakam is kind of on the fence with not just me but the whole of the nba fandom everyone doesn't know what the hell he's doing anymore but fred van vliet for sure is a guy who's made huge strides og starting to come into his own and now a guy like Chris Boucher, who's seeing some serious minutes off the bench for the Raptors. Um, again, he's one of the few coaches in recent history who's not only won an NBA championship but in his, in his first year, but he's also won without having a second superstar in recent history. And yes, like while a lot of people could argue that Lowry is some great player, let's be real, he's not a superstar. He's an all-star at best. And during the, the year that the Raptors won, Siakam was starting to really come into his own. He wasn't even an all-star at that time. Um, and assuming that the Raptors can exceed expectations, maybe cracking the third seed, uh, I think a huge part of it will be behind Nurse, given the lack of talent. And for those reasons, I feel like he has a huge shot at winning Coach of the Year, considering what he has to work with this year. Yo, man, I love me some Nick Nurse. After all, he's the coach of the team that effectively ended the Warriors dynasty two years ago. However, I have to go with the guy who recently league GMs named the NBA's top coach, best manager slash motivator, and the best with in-game adjustments, the Miami Heat's Eric Spolstra. If you're asking me why Eric Spolstra is the best coach in the NBA, look no further than the Heat's finals appearance last season. He runs a beautiful motion offense with off-ball screens on one side of the court and dribble handoffs on the other. He schemes incredible shooters like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero wide open. Not just that, the Heat are an incredibly disciplined team on defense, with Bam Adebayo anchoring the defense and my boy Jimmy Butler shoring up the perimeter. And with further growth of Adebayo, Hero, and Robinson after last year's finals appearance, you can expect that they're going to win a hell of a lot more games this year than they did last year. My expectation is that Spolstra's coaching will lead this team to the Eastern Conference Finals. After all, their only competition in the East are the Nets and maybe the Sixers. So my problem with a pick like Eric Spolstra is that it's not taking enough into account that so much of this award is often based upon expectations. And they went to the finals last year, right? So anything short of like a number one or number two seed is going to be seen as him falling short of expectations. On the other hand, my pick is Ty Lue because the Clippers, for whatever reason, came into the season with relatively low expectations given their talent level, at least for the regular season. People think, oh, you know, Kawhi is going to rest. You know, they're not going to take the regular season that seriously. People seriously are underestimating how talented this team is. 
So if they exceed those expectations and they finish on the top of the West, Lou has a really good shot at this award. And I think so far, I loved the strategic adjustments that I'm already seeing from him, right? Like, look at the game against the Lakers, opening night. He makes sure to match Ibaka against Gasol, who's way too you know, slow to deal with him out on the perimeter. And the second that Gasol would get in foul trouble or come out of the game, he would put in Zubox to just punish Harold's lack of size, right? So he's actually making these in-game tactical adjustments that we just didn't see that often from Doc Rivers. I also really like that he's using triangle sets to get Kawhi the ball in the mid post against mismatches where like he can put that incredible mid-range jump shot to use. It reminds me a lot of what Phil Jackson would do with Michael in, in the late 90s. And, and frankly, Kawhi, it reminds me a lot of that with the way that you know he can have this perfect balance on his jump shot. The other thing is Paul George complained that Doc Rivers used him like Ray Allen and J.J. Redick, but really he didn't use him that way. He used him a lot as a pick-and-roll ball handler, which isn't really Paul George's strength. So far, Lou has put George in the very role that he whined about not wanting to be in, but it's actually the right decision because George is an incredible jump shooter, and he's not nearly as much of a threat to drive uh, the ball in an ISO or even in a pick-and-roll as he is just to rise up and shoot. And so far, George is really re- reaping the benefits and has been killing it. So I, I love what Tyler's already done. I think given the expectations, he has a really good chance to win this award. So I know I'm going to probably get ridiculed for this. Um, but my pick, if I had to pick one person for coach of the year, um, is Steve Nash. Um, so I wait, think- wait, 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 wait. The same Steve Nash that you said is the most likely to get fired? I, I, I play yeah. every. I, 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 I play a probability <laughs> game, right? So, um, <laughs> all over the place. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, it's, something, could have a, something could have a high likelihood of happening on one end and then have a high likelihood of happening on the other end too, right? Um, and granted, I think the, the most likely scenario is that both predictions are wrong, to be fair. But I do think that, uh, right, we, I, this whole time, right, you, you guys each ha- said your piece about the ex-coach and half the time you spent talking about the roster and the players. So um, clearly the fate of these coaches is very, not, not to be a Jeff fan Gundy about it, but the, the fate of these coaches is very intrinsically tied to these, their players. Um, Kyrie has the potential to sink Steve Nash. Kyrie and KD have the uh, potential to also elevate Steve Nash. Right. Um, So I, I think uh, if this Nets experiment works out really well, if KD's comes out of this injury, looking amazing that, you know, they end up the one seed huge contender for the title that bodes really well for Steve Nash and people are going to, people love Steve Nash. And it was the media loves Steve Nash. Um, People want, want to give him that crown. Um, So I, if, if things go well for the Nets, do not count out this uh, first-year coach. Well, it's very clear that Nassau has some experience in the stock market. Literally, he's playing both sides of both outcomes. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, uh, options training, man. <laughs> All right, let's start on a fun one, guys. Who's most likely to win the Shaqton a Fool MVP this season? Yo, there's so many candidates, and there's so many good candidates. This might be the hardest thing we've discussed <laughs> during this pod. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I've got to say, I'm gonna go with Dion Waiters. I just feel like this guy has done whatever he can to make whatever franchise he's playing for an absolute nightmare. I remember the whole incident that he had with 
the Miami Heat when he took the edibles and he was on the, the plane and he like was freaking the hell out and, and they had to like stop the plane and do all this stuff and I don't know it's just like I can and Dion Waiters also is the type of player to similar to like J.R. Smith where like they take these absurd shots and you know like they just do a bunch of crazy shit on the court so I could definitely see Dion uh definitely gunning for that top uh mark for Shaq full MVP. I can't fault you for picking Dion Waiters. I think that's a very viable candidate for Shaqton MVP. But for me, it's got to be the guy who had a putback <laughs> dunk on the wrong hoop. <laughs> that's not a reason to be biased. <laughs> Look, I get it. You want to try to get the ball out. You want to assert your presence and dominance in the low post. Yeah, all of that's great. Um but you kind of got to do it on the right hoop. (laughs) If that's not bad enough, in the preseason, Bryant had to be held back by a referee because he tried fighting Blake Griffin only for Blake Griffin to be laughing right at his face. The irony of all of this is that Thomas Bryant got fined $45,000 for putting his hands on the ref. (laughs) In short, you're not really making a good case as a tough guy if the guy you're trying to intimidate is laughing at you. And a referee is holding his back. <laughs> so, guys, I'm going to go with old reliable JaVel McGee. <laughs> now, I know that JaVel McGee is now a champion with two franchises. And I know that he's got his mom to go yell. Mama McGee has gone and yelled at Shaq and made it clear that he can't be picked again for this. But even if he doesn't actually pick a Shaq's too scared to, to pick the obvious candidate, he deserves to be. Because this is JaVel McGee we're talking about. A man who's capable of doing anything on the court from having a layup sail over the backboard to <laughs> goaltending for absolutely no reason to running the wrong way on the court. He's just capable of doing anything. You know, he's a great teammate. He seems like a good guy. But man, it's got to be JaVel McGee. Yeah, the potential is limitless with this guy for the amount of stupid shit he could do in any given time. For sure. I think uh, Nassau is the last guy, so what do you got? No, I mean, I'll I'll be honest, uh, JaVale was my pick as well, but, you know, people don't give me enough credit. If someone makes a compelling argument, I'm going to listen to that, and I'm not going to hesitate to change my opinion. So I think Oswee's case for uh, Mr. Thomas Bryan is pretty compelling. So (laughs) I'm going to endorse that. I I wonder if anyone has ever done that in the history of professional basketball. I mean, I know there's been people who've accidentally scored on their own hoop. I know there's people who have uh, famously thrown the... Do you guys remember back in the day when... uh, God, who was that who like threw want to get triple? Was it Ricky Davis who yeah, tried to get <laughs> he took a shot in his own hoop to get the rebound, trying to get triple double? Oh man. I know that's Evan, but a putback dunk on the wrong hoop is a new one. Oh man, yeah. Like, like I said, guys, this is gonna be the hardest category for us to decide. <laughs> And that's a wrap, everyone. So all that's left to do after these awards is to see what happens to them, right? So I guess we're all going to have to tune into that NBA season. But while we're doing that, uh, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast feed, Spotify, Apple Music, um, Pocket Cast, whatever you use. Um, be sure. Brown men won't jump. You can't miss it. Till next time, everyone. Later, guys. <laughs>